Man, I'm, I'm really feeling good this morning. There are certain, certain mornings where you just feel the sense of anticipation. Maybe it's the new year. Maybe it's just the chance to worship with you all. Maybe it's the arrival of Daryl Cloud. Daryl, so glad to have you here. But I just have this sense of joy and anticipation that we as a church are experiencing the unspeakable privilege of being led by God, of being part of his family, part of his army that's being used to transform our community. And it's just a real joy. This is a special uh, message that I'm, I'm doing this morning in that uh, we have a standalone week, and uh, it's not a part of a series, so I was able to turn to a passage near and dear to my heart that really captures a picture of the hope that I have for 2015. This is what I want 2015 to be in my life and for our church as well. Let me uh, start by showing you a Christmas gift that someone from our congregation gave me. Isn't this nice? I went to Wheaton College and I go Wheaton, all right. <laughs> and uh, I met a, a friend here, uh, hadn't, didn't know him at Wheaton, but I met him here at church and he goes, I went to Wheaton too. And out of that mutual passion for our alma mater, he bought me uh, this shirt for, as a Christmas gift. Someone said to me, Jeff, you should have worn it during your sermon. And I, I would have. I had thought of that, actually. But to be entirely honest with you, it's a little tight. And so I, uh, I couldn't do it. That's the awkward, you know, it's a risky thing buying clothing for your pastor. You know what I mean? You got to guess the size and this is an extra large, but every once in a while, an extra large is not quite large enough. And in some cases, uh, t- did you even know there was a 2XL? Yeah, well, that works well for me sometimes. Yeah. Poor guy. You know, when you buy a, a piece of clothing, maybe you did this over Christmas, it's, you have to, like, guess their size, and then they look at the tag and, really? You think that's what I am? You know, and you don't want to offend. And so I can imagine my friend going, He's either an extra large or a 2XL. I don't know. I can't. I give him a 2XL. That's going like, to offend him big time. And so I'll stick with the XL. You made the right choice. Let me just uh, assure you, okay? Yes, I would have fit better in a 2XL, but I would have been offended. <laughs> so there would have been this awkwardness between you and I for a long time, forever, actually. And so I'm glad that you <laughs> went this route. If you went to college, I'm guessing that you feel a strong connection to your alma mater. There is something about the the college being a part of you and you being who you are because of that college. I think that was evident to me uh, just a couple days ago when I watched the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Some of you watch those games. And I, I watched the fans in the stands when the TV would go, and they were crazy. It dawned on me that I think college football fans are even more passionate than uh, professional football fans for this reason. It's not just their team. Their school is part of them. They feel this identification that somehow they are on the field in a real special way. And so the bond between a person and their college is, is really strong. And oddly enough, though it's strong today, I'm going to make the case that it was even stronger back in the first century when Jesus walked the planet. And you say, were there colleges back then? As a matter of fact, they were. They looked very different than they do today. 
But the sense of identity that people found with their alma mater, the the sense of connection that they had was off the charts, even higher than today. And I think it matters for us. And so we're going to study a passage that really exemplifies and demonstrates what this college system in the ancient world looked like. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, all right? Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. This is a passage that's probably going to be familiar to many of you, but I hope to bring some cultural context that will bring new, shed new light on a familiar verse. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. One was named Simon, also called Peter, and the other Andrew, fishing with the nets, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come, be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with him. Believe it or not, in that verse, you are seeing the admittance of two brothers to college. The term disciple could be rendered student. And the role that Jesus is playing here is rabbi. And in that ancient world, rabbis, instructors, would have their disciples or students. And I'll demonstrate in a moment how this was the highest level of education. Now, you may say, oh, well, that's great for them, and, uh, but I am not a college student in Jesus' university. And I would argue that you are. The Bible says that all of us are disciples of Jesus. That our shirt, if you will, should say Jesus University on it, and we're a part of it. And and he said, where where does the Bible say that? Let me ask you this. She said, I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a disciple. I'm a Christian. Curious thing. Do you know how many times in the Bible the word Christian is found? Take a guess and whisper to someone around you. Uh, You can... Do your best here at guessing. The correct answer is three times the word Christian is found in the Bible. The word disciple is found 261 times in the New Testament. And what's interesting is that you say, well, aren't all those occurrences of Jesus' 12 disciples? Many of them are. But that's also how Christians were referred to. When you look at the book of Acts, for example, which is Uh, after Jesus has resurrected and ascended, this tells the story of the early church. Uh, The the term disciple is found in the book of Acts uh, 28 times. And not one of them refers to the 12. All 28 of those references are to ordinary Christians like you and I. The 12 referred to as apostles in the book of Acts. And so when we turn to scriptures, we find that we're just called disciples of Jesus. In the Great Commission, when Jesus said, go out into all the world and make, what, Christians? No, disciples. We, in the Bible, are just referred to as disciples of Jesus. What that means is this, that Jesus chose to enter into the rabbi-disciple standard form of higher education that existed in his culture. Jesus said, I can use that. I'm going to operate within that educational system. And Jesus embraced it so much that he said, even upon my departure, 
I still want you to be doing this. Make disciples. In fact, forever make disciples. And so we need to study this educational system that Jesus embraced because it is representative of how he wants our transformation to look going forward. So, so let's do that. Let's, let's take a look a bit. And I want to now show you the three stages of education in ancient Israel. The first was called Bet Sefer. It was the equivalent to our elementary school age, okay? In every little town, they would have a teacher, a rabbi. And that rabbi would teach at a little schoolhouse building called the synagogue. And all the students of that town would gather together, and the rabbi at the elementary level at Bet Sefer would teach. The second level is called Bet Talmud, Bet Talmud, which is the equivalent of junior high and high school in our system, okay? This also was, took place locally. Different, often in a larger town, it would be a different rabbi, uh, one of the capacity to teach at a higher level, and it would also be in the synagogue. And once again, the kids would go. Uh, it's interesting. Bet Sefer means the house of the book. Bet Talmud means the house of learning. In both cases, the Bible was their textbook. You've got to remember, Israel was a religious society, and so the students learned to read and write by reading and copying the Word of God. All right? So in both of these levels, yes, they were teaching the basics, but they were doing so in a very religious context. And then we get to what would be our college level, Bet Midrash which means house of study. And this is, again, the highest level of learning. Also done by rabbis, all of them done by rabbis, but here would be the rabbis of the highest excellence in their education and teaching capacity. In fact, the rabbis at the Bet Midrash level wouldn't teach locally. They were not committed to a local synagogue in a local town, but they were in demand. And so they would actually travel from town to town, kind of like speakers on the teaching circuit, if you will. And people would be so excited when a gifted or well-known rabbi of the Bet Midrash level would come and speak in their town. Jesus was a rabbi, a professor, if you will, of this level. If you read the Gospels, it describes him from going from town to town, teaching at each of these places. That's what he's doing. He's functioning as an itinerant, traveling, bet midrash rabbi. Okay? And you say, well, how in what sense then can you go to his school? Uh, if he's moving around all the time, then you only get to see him when he comes to town. That's how most people get to see him. But those who are a part of his school travel with him they would become a small band of followers known as disciples, or teledim is the, the old word. And they would be his school. And wherever he went, they went with him and would continue to learn from him by following him from town to town. And then when you see the 12 disciples of Jesus, those are the 12 students in his school. Well, I want to now take a look at Three uh, 
things that come out of this verse, that come out of this function of how the rabbi-disciple relationship worked, that really apply to us. So shall we get to application? The first is the method of a disciple. What method of learning and transformation did this rabbi-disciple thing uh, demonstrate that really applies to us? Well, and the first is this. I want to go back to the verse. Jesus said, come. He, he's, let's go to verse 19. Come to these disciples. This, the word come represents movement. Come, be with me. And they went with him. Do you see the movement? Again, I already alluded to this, but I'll say it again. They were with Jesus 24-7. This was not classroom that was for a few hours and then ended. And the rest of the day, you were out of class. You were in class all the time because you were living with your professor. And this is a profound uh, application for us because we also should be in submission to the teaching and the correction and the leadership of Jesus Christ 24-7. We should live with our rabbi. Jesus promised before he left, I will be with you always. And he wants to be with us. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ wants to instruct us. Some of our instruction, you know, when I was in college, I was a biology major. So a lot of my classes were lab or lecture in lab. And that's kind of how it is with us. The lecture is when we open the word of God and we study what Jesus says in his word. The lecture is when... uh, preacher like myself proclaims the word of God and you are learning. But lab is life, where you go out there and you say, okay, Lord, let's put into practice what we've learned. And the Lord will rebuke you along the way. Ever had that happen where you do something, say something, and all of a sudden you have this sense of conviction, like Jesus is saying, is that how I taught you to do it? Folks, uh, if your mentality is I come to church, or I pray, or I read my Bible, but then I go out and I forget about the Lord, and I go, you're missing what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to always, it doesn't matter if you're at work, doesn't matter if you're in the car, doesn't matter if you're at home, doesn't matter if you're in the neighborhood, at a restaurant, at the gym, or in the shower. You're always with the Lord, being trained, open to being instructed and taught his way of life. And so one of the things we learn about the method of a disciple, 24-7, every day, all day, is an opportunity to grow as Jesus teaches us and speaks to our hearts. Okay? Second thing I want to point as an application is the objective of a disciple. What's the objective of a student? If If you're a high school student or junior high student, you'd say, The objective is to pass the class, you know, to get the grade. And we would want to lift your aspirations a little higher and say, no, it's to gain knowledge that's going to serve you in life. Well, the objective of a disciple is higher than either of those. It wasn't to get the grade. It wasn't to gain knowledge. It was to gain a life, to become somebody. In fact, the one, what they wanted to become was like their rabbi. The objective of a disciple was to become like the rabbi. Let me show you, going back to our verse. In verse 19, remember Jesus called out to them. He said, come, be my disciples, and I'll show you how to fish for people. 
Jesus said, I don't know how to fish for fish. You guys are good at that. You've learned that already. Jesus says, that's not what I do. My expertise, my passion in life is to be a fisher of people. Jesus says, I'm all about reaching people far from God and bringing them into God's boat, if you will, bringing them into the family of God, drawing them back to the God who made them. Jesus says, that's what I do, and that's what I want to teach you to do. I want you to be like me, Jesus said. That's the essence of discipleship. In fact, in Luke, uh, what was it? Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 40, it says, Every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his rabbi. You see that? And so what does that mean? It means that when a young man was looking for an opportunity to follow a rabbi, to be a part of their school, they were very choosy. They looked for a rabbi who embodied all that they wanted to be. If a guy was a real dynamic communicator, but a a real louse when it comes to his character, they'd say no, no. But if they saw a guy who emitted a passion and a joy and a courage and a love, that they just said, oh my, that's who I want to be then they would find someone they'd want to apply to their school. And so when we apply this to our own lives, what does that mean? The objective of our lives is to be like Jesus. Have we said that? Are you like Jesus? Do people come up to you and say, man, when I look at you, I feel like I just see the the characteristics of Jesus Christ shining through you. And probably the answer is no. Uh, We have a long way to go in that, but that is the objective. We must recognize that remaining as we are is is unacceptable. And we must lift high our sights and say, Lord, by your grace, through your instruction, through your rebuke, through your leadership, through your spirit transforming me, I long to be more like Jesus, to have the peace that Jesus had, to have the love that Jesus had, the patience that Jesus had, the passion, the courage. I want to live like Jesus lived. The rabbi said, there is a life I'd like to introduce to you. I'm embracing it. Watch me, learn from me, and do as I do. It's one of the reasons why the 24-7 strategy was so helpful because the student would not only listen to the lecture of the rabbi, but watch the life of the rabbi and do as they did, entering into that life. Jesus says, I've come to show you a life, a life that reflects the very heart and character of God Almighty. And I've come to invite you into that life. Be like me, Jesus says. Wow. Some of you are like, wow, this is really heavy, man. I don't know if I 24-7 be like Jesus. I think I'll just be a Christian. This disciple thing's a little too much. No, that's not an option. Remember, I said already that every Christian is called to be a disciple. One more application, and that is the commitment level of a disciple is evident in this verse. Uh, Going back again to, was it verse 20? Uh, Look at what it says here. It says that when Jesus called them to become disciples, what did they do? They left their nets at once and went with him. 
you see the commitment there? These guys had been devoted to fishing. That was their industry, their life. But in this instance, as they had the opportunity to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, they threw that net down and they said, we're going to follow you and leave everything with this singular objective to become like you. Folks, the commitment level of a disciple was just huge. They were obsessed with the goal of being discipled by their rabbi. Can I ask you, are you obsessed with this goal of following Rabbi Jesus into a life that reflects his beauty? Are you obsessed with it? Is that your just burning heart? Well, if you take seriously your call to be a disciple, you'll get obsessed. I'll show you an ancient quote from an ancient rabbi. Yose ben Yozer was this old rabbi, and he used to say this. He said, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this is actually a, a challenge to devotion to this process. Because in the ancient world, you would have a familiar sight. You know, you'd see a rabbi of the uh, highest order walking from town to town, and behind him would be a trail of his disciples. And some of the disciples would be kind of be lagging behind. You know, they were not as committed. They were following, but if there was a little distance between them and the rabbi and they weren't hearing all that he was saying as he walked or observing his interaction as he walked, they were okay with that. But there were some who had to be as close to the rabbi as possible. And they would be right behind him. And as a result of their being right behind him, they'd be covered with his dust. You know, on those dusty roads, the rabbi would kick up a lot of dust and they were covered with it. And that was a delight to them because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to watch how he handled various situations. They were passionate about becoming like their rabbi. And so I would ask you, are you covered in the dust of your rabbi? How dusty are you? How passionate and zealous are you about this year, 2015, being a year of greater transformation by the instruction and leadership of Jesus Christ in your life? Let, let's do a little review. Let's go back to these, uh, these three takeaways, and I'll just ask you, the method. Do you view every day, 24-7, as a chance to be taught by Jesus? Every day are you saying, Lord, today, make me a little bit more like you. Speak to me. Are you in the word every day? Are you studying the wor words of this book, Jesus' book, saying, Lord, I want to know your ways? That method of Jesus, lecture, lab is just essential for all of us. And I would ask you, how dusty are you? How, how much are you doing this? How about the objective? Have, have you said, I must be like Jesus? What would Jesus do? That's what I will do in this situation and that one. Everyone, he is my objective, my example. And how about commitment? Are you covered with dust because there is a fire in you to live this life? How dusty are you? I'll admit, you know, you may say, well, I hope you are really dusty. Well, not as much as I should be. I'm growing, but I'm struggling at the same time. And I looked at this week of my life as an example of that. 
I was uh, this week in Colorado. Uh, my parents blessed me and my brothers by taking us and our families on a ski vacation to Colorado last week. And you say, well, when you're on vacation, you're away from this growth process, right? No. <laughs> if you're following Rabbi Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're at work or on vacation, you're always in school and always growing. And here's what happened on Thursday, all right? Thursday, we were all together. I think there were 14 of us with kids, and my parents still ski in front of them. So we're all on the slopes together. And my daughter, Janae, uh, my youngest of my two daughters, is doing real well in learning, but she's still a beginner. And I had said to the family, we're going to stay on beginner slopes for Janae's sake. She's not ready for the blue or the intermediate. And my brothers, who are very enthusiastic about skiing, said, oh, let's go down this blue. She's going to be fine. And we got into a little bit of an argument. And I said, no, we're not going. I I said, fine. If you guys want to go down the blue, that's great. But Janae and I are going on the green, the beginner slope. I love my brothers, but after all these years, we can get at each other uh, quite good. My wife stepped in at that point, and she goes, you're not leaving us. The point of this vacation is not skiing, but being together as a family. She goes, we're staying together. And I go, I'm great with that, but then we're going to have to stay on green, beginner slopes. And, and one of my brothers said, look at your son, Jake. He's already moving down a blue slope. And I'm like, Jake! And I, uh, you know, he had descended a little below the entrance to the green. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Oh, so frustrated. I skied down to him. I'm like, what are you doing? Skiing, Dad. And I... I literally picked him up and had to sidestep up the mountain to get Jake to where we could go down this green slope. And I said, follow me, Jake. And I started going down the green. He followed me so closely that he got his skis tangled in mine. And I boom, boom, and bit it bad, landed, you know, with him on top of me, all twisted up. And Jake, what are you doing? Following you, Dad, you know. It wasn't much longer after that where my frustration level is building. I look, my brothers, the whole family has turned down a blue. And, and I just stood with Janae at the top and I screamed, no! And they all looked back at me, you know, could tell I was upset. And I did, uh, this, this means, what are you thinking? You know, I think, I think they got it. And my wife is giving me this signal, come with us. And I go, no. I shook my head, and then I did, which uh, is not a very nice way of saying goodbye, see ya, you know. And I said, Janae, let's go. And I took my daughter, and she and I ditched the rest of the family all day until the end of the day. When I was on the ski lift with Janae and I, I, Janae's not a big talker, so I was able to get discipled by Jesus a little bit. And, and I prayed. I said, Lord, okay, fine. Let me submit myself to your instruction. As I see it, I did the right thing. There's these two values. Be together as a family or preserve the well-being of my daughter. And I chose to preserve the safety of my daughter. And I think that's the right choice. You speak, Lord. Go ahead. You don't tell me it's the right choice. Yeah. And in my heart, I felt God say, yeah, it was the right choice. But the way you went about it was far from what is right. 
And the Lord brought to me a passage out of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus spoke about anger. And Jesus said that anger, the the fuel behind anger, is just the same fuel that's in murder. So Jesus says, if you burn with anger against your brother and call him idiot, which I think I did, actually, to both of them, Jesus says, that is not, I don't want my people characterized by rage. And I'm like, did I have rage, Lord? Yeah, I guess I did. Uh, Lord, I repent to you, but I don't think they felt the rage, did they? And then my heart, God said, who are you kidding? Of course they felt your rage. It was evident. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, Lord, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I lost my cool. Forgive me. And then I thought, okay, I put that aside. And then the discipling function of Jesus in my heart continued when he reminded me of another passage in the Sermon on the Mount that says, if you're worshiping in the temple and you remember that somebody has something against you, that you've wronged them in some way, go to them immediately. He uses the temple context to say that he's more interested in righting a wrong than he is in us going to church. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Uh, Go to my brothers and apologize? Yeah. Do I need to apologize beyond them? Yeah. Do I need to apologize to my sister-in-laws? Yeah. My parents? Yes. My nephews? Yes. My kids? Yes. Uh, And I didn't want to at all. But the day ended, and everybody met back at the condo. And I said, hey, everybody, can I talk to you for a minute? Everybody gather up. And they all gathered up around. And I said, I don't know if you're aware or not, but I lost my temper out on the hill. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, I think we noticed. (laughs) And I said, I was kind of mad at all of you. And I did not handle myself in a very godly or mature way. I stick with the decision of protecting Janae, but I could have done it in a far more respecting and uh, honoring way. And I just lost it. Would you forgive me? And I, thankfully, am in a family of disciples of Jesus who are submitting to his command to be gracious and forgiving because they all readily forgave me and said, Jeff, we're good. And my son, (laughs) Jake, came up to me. And he goes, Dad, I'm really glad you apologized because you were not acting like a Christian out there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jake. We're burning that up. But it showed me that my son's watching every move I make. And I'm really glad that Jesus discipled me on Thursday and led me in his ways with grace and firmness every day is a chance to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and have Rabbi Jesus transform you step by step, little by little, into his image. And some of you are still struggling with, I don't know if I can make my whole life objective to be like Jesus, to see his kingdom advance through my transformation. I don't know if I can just focus on that objective with insane commitment. If you knew me, you'd say, you'd realize, I'm not the pastor type, Jeff. I'm I'm, I'm just not. I am so far from Jesus and so far from that that I just don't think I'm discipleship material. Can I show you something about, let's go back to these two verses we've looked at. Uh, The first one, again, 
is uh, verse 18. And I just want to make a simple observation that you already saw, but let me point to it again. Peter and Andrew, the two guys in this text, what were they? They were commercial fishermen. And you say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, let me show you, uh, go, go back to the educational system once more, and you will see where uh, that means they fit into this. Bet Sefer Elementary School is about as far as most people got back in that day. Now, admittedly, that don't think of it as a small accomplishment. One of the goals of Bet Sefer education, the elementary school, was to memorize the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament, and their goal at this level was to memorize it all, all five books. And most people got to the end of that and said, my brain's going to explode, I'm done with formal schooling, and they would become an apprentice of someone in the trades or someone in fishing. And they'd say, most would say, I'm done with education, and they'd enter into the workforce. So Peter and Andrew most likely had a bet suffer education level and not beyond. Now, some had an inclination for learning and a passion to go higher, and they'd go to the Bet Talmud. And this high school or junior high level had the objective of memorizing the Old Testament in its entirety. Can you imagine that? The vast majority who even started at this level could not. And so the dropout rate was very high. Many would begin Bet Talmud and just say, forget this, and end. And the quantity of people who graduated at this level and as a result were qualified to apply to follow a rabbi at the Bet Midrash level, they were very few who got to this level. If Peter and Andrew were fishermen, we know that either they had this level and stopped or they toyed with this a little bit and dropped out, but they went to dad and said, teach us how to fish. Okay? Important to know. Now let's go to the next two verses that we've already read. Verses 19 and 20. Jesus called out to them. Jesus is violating the way it's done here. All along I've been saying that people would apply to follow a rabbi. The initiative was by the applicant coming to a rabbi and saying, would you consider me for discipleship? Jesus is reversing that. He's coming to them and saying, come be my disciples. Can you imagine how awkward this is? You know, uh, Jesus is saying, uh, Peter and Andrew, I'm Jesus, nice to meet you, and I just wanted to formally tell you that you have been admitted to my school of discipleship, and I'd like to extend an invitation for you to be my disciple. And I can imagine them looking at each other going, uh, I think you got the wrong guys. Uh, I don't know you if you know who we're talking about. We're kind of like school dropouts. Back in elementary school, we were done, you know. Didn't do very well, and so... Uh, he got us confused with somebody else, but, and Jesus says, I know exactly who I'm talking to. And I'm telling you, I want you to be my disciple. You have, this would be like you graduating from the third grade and Harvard coming along and extending you an, an invitation to attend. They were like, what do you mean we're accepted? Jesus said, that's what I just told you. You are accepted. You have a chance to be, I'm, I'm, it's going to be a small school, it's 12, and I'm inviting you to be one of the 12. And this tension must have been unbelievable for them where they're like, wait a minute. Here's, rabbis were real hesitant to extend uh, acceptances to people. You know why? Because if they did, whoever they accepted, their reputation was on the line with what happened in their disciples. 
if disciples did a masterful job of, of living up to their life, that would shine well on them. And so a rabbi would be real careful to only select the cream of the crop, those that they felt had what it took to represent them well. And Jesus was saying, I think you can be like me. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're like the outsiders. We're the rejects. We're the dropouts. Jesus said, that doesn't matter to me. I'm saying you can be my disciple. The principle here is very encouraging. Because you may just relate to Peter and Andrew. You may just say, I'm not the religious type. I'm not the impressive type. I am so profoundly ordinary. Beautiful. You are exactly the type Jesus is looking for. Jesus was a specialist in going to the outcasts, the unexpected, the the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and saying, I call you to be my disciple. Folks, we talk a lot about believing in Jesus. We got to believe in Jesus. Here's something to think about. Jesus believes in you. He believes that with his help, you can be like him. And so this argument that you're not qualified to be his disciple probably makes you more qualified than you think to do just that. I pray that the year 2015 would be a year where we're not just Christians. We are disciples of Jesus every day this year, and that it will be a year of growth as he graciously teaches us how to live by his spirit in his style. And I pray that we are a church on the move, a church growing to be more like Jesus and seeing his kingdom advance through us because of the transformation in us. Shall we pray towards that end? Let's do it. Lord, we bow before you And we are in awe at the privilege of being accepted into your school. Jesus, that you want to call us your disciples blows us away. I know I say yes. And I think most in this room are saying yes as well. We want to change. We want to be taught and trained and led to be like you. Jesus, take us, take our souls and form them. They are like soft clay and we invite you to mold us to be like you. We'll repent, we'll get up and we'll start following again. But we want to be disciples of you, our Rabbi Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.